Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. In the 1993 movie Jurassic Park, Sam Neill's character, Alan Grant, said of the Triceratops, This one was always my favorite when I was a kid. Now I see her, she's the most beautiful thing I ever saw. Even if your dinosaur phase came and went a few decades ago, you'll probably recognize Triceratops. The frilled, three-horned herbivore died out 65 and a half million years ago, but you can find its likeness pretty much anywhere, from museums to toy stores to a National League baseball park. Our fossil record has been kind to this beast. Hundreds of Triceratops skeletons have turned up in the American West, and they're actually hard to avoid at the fossil-rich Hell Creek Formation of Montana, Wyoming, and the Dakotas. In 1887, Othniel Charles Marsh, the U.S. Geological Survey's official vertebrate paleontologist, received a fossilized animal brow with two large horns that a colleague had found near Denver, Colorado. Unaware of the specimen's age, Marsh figured it came from a prehistoric bison, which he named Bison altacornis. Later discoveries proved the creature was actually a dinosaur, far larger than any cow relative. One incomplete skull bearing three horns and a partial beak found its way to Marsh after some Wyoming cowboys had lassoed the thing, snapping off a horn in the process. Marsh dubbed the animal Triceratops, meaning three-horned face, in an 1889 scientific paper. Note that this is a genus name. Under the system we use to classify living things, a genus is one magnitude greater than a species. So within the same genus, you can have multiple closely related species. Today, two Triceratops species, both named by Marsh, are considered valid, Triceratops horridus and Triceratops prorsus. Close attention is required to tell these animals apart. All Triceratops had three-horned skulls, with two massive horns above the eye sockets and a smaller one over the nose. However, adult Triceratops prorsus had slightly longer nasal horns than their cousins did. Another difference? Uh, the beaks of Triceratops prorsus looked proportionately shorter. We know both species changed as they aged, and not just in terms of overall body size. A bony frill protruded from the backside of every Triceratops skull. When these animals matured, their frills grew longer. Often compared to medieval shields, these frills may have served a defensive purpose, or maybe they evolved as communication tools the structures could have been vibrantly colored, advertising the health and stanima of individual dinos. Triceratops hatchlings had stubby little brow horns above their eyes. Those horns lengthened and curved backward during adolescence. But over time, a dramatic reversal took place. The horns straightened out and then bent forward in older specimens. Maturity came with growth spurts. The smallest known Triceratops skull from a very young animal is just 11.8 inches or 30 centimeters long. Other recovered skulls measuring well over six and a half feet or two meters in length clearly belonged to adults. Weighing an estimated six and a half to 13 tons, the biggest Triceratops were 29 and a half feet or nine meters long from nose to tail. The tips of their shoulders would have stood almost 10 feet or three meters off the ground. Unlike alligators and monitor lizards, Triceratops held their arms and legs in a more or less vertical position. Yet, as Donald R. Prothero notes in his 2019 book, The Story of Life in 25 Fossils, Tales of Intrepid Fossil Hunters and the Wonders of Evolution, 
most Triceratops fingers didn't point dead ahead. Instead, these hand digits were angled away from the body. Think uh, jazz hands. On top of the U.S. states we've mentioned, Triceratops fossils also occur in west-central Canada. The genus first appeared around 68 million years ago, near the tail end of the geologic period called the Cretaceous. Triceratops were still at large when a mass extinction closed out the Cretaceous 65.5 million years ago. Thus, Triceratops has the distinction of being one of the last non-avian dinosaurs to ever evolve. It was also a late-arriving Ceratopsian. Distributed across Eurasia and North America, the Ceratopsians were a group of plant-eating dinosaurs that predominantly lived in the Cretaceous. Known for their beaks and long, flaring cheekbones, they ranged from bipedal, dog-sized animals to, well, giant quadrupeds like Triceratops. Many had horns and or frills, arranged in a spectacular array of different combinations. Triceratops belonged to the Chasmosaurinae, a major subgroup of these dinos characterized mainly by their elongated snouts, among other features. Large eyebrow horns were another common trait among the Chasmosaurines, Triceratops included. Lesions and fractures are frequently seen on Triceratops' frill and cheekbones. These could indicate that the animals used their brow horns in one-on-one combat with each other. The jury is still out on whether or not Triceratops moved in herds, but we have a pretty good idea of what the creatures ate. Their teeth were arranged in so-called dental batteries. Every individual tooth was stacked in a vertical column of three to five teeth. And these formed rows, with 36 to 40 tooth-loaded columns occurring side by side. Altogether, a single Triceratops could have 800 teeth at its disposal. With its narrow beak, powerful jaws, and replaceable self-sharpening teeth, Triceratops probably fed on tough, fibrous plants. But what ate the Triceratops? Well, we know Tyrannosaurus rex lived in the same time and place— and it occasionally made a meal of the big herbivore. Bite marks matching T. rex's distinctive teeth have been found on several Triceratops skeletons, with the frills and faces getting more than their fair share of the injuries. Pointing to these scars, some have argued that T. rex would methodically rip the heads off of dead Triceratops by grabbing a hold of the frills and tugging, the predators could decapitate the bodies, exposing choice neck muscles below. Nothing beats a hard-earned meal? Today's episode was written by Mark Mancini and produced by Tyler Klang. For more on this and lots of other curious topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.